It's Thursday, July 2nd, 2020, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the show about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 279. You know, I really thought I could think of a joke about Final Fantasy VII, but I got nothing. Runtime for this episode is 1 hour, 8 minutes. Hello and welcome to Last Time on Video Games, podcast first class. My name is Jeremy. About to bring an avalanche of fact stone on you. I'm Tyler. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Do you want us to take it again, Zach? <laughs> no, 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 I'm good. My name is Zach. You about made me break my limit there. I, that could have gone better. Um... We played Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> and now we're actually going to talk about it. I have a couple of songs stuck in my head. And they won't go away. I'm mm-hmm. so what? I keep spacing out. What songs what? you have in your, stuck in your head, Zach? Uh, I don't know what any of them are called. And are any of them video games? No, that you have been playing no. since we last recorded. Are any of them the theme to Persona Five? <laughs> no, but the one for R is actually pretty good. I mean, it is. The problem is, it's not nearly as good as the one for the original Persona Five. Like every expanded Persona intro, it's just not as good as the original. I haven't been playing Persona 5R because I beat Persona 5R and had to make sure I didn't say anything spoilery because Jeremy was playing Persona 5R. Where are you in Persona 5R now? I finished it. Okay. We talked about it a little bit on the way down here. I've been playing actually a weird... Like, I haven't been playing a whole lot of games. I've been playing a lot of Fate Go. That's um, fair. Don't, don't worry. To make up for it, I have played, I think, three or four complete games since the last I, time we recorded. I played all through the first Lost Belt. Which is like the first story arc they have added since the uh, first part of the game where you go take out Solomon. And so yes. the Lost Belts are all like the loser side of history. Like oh, okay. They're alternate realities where something else So happened. they're called Lost Belts because they all had champion wrestling belts and then they lost them in the title match. Um, sure. <laughs> the first one was Russia and had like Ivan the Terrible and Anastasia Romanov and stuff Tracks. in it. yeah. They just released the next one, which is... Obviously, Lost Belt 2, which has... Ra, ra, Rasputin. Actually, it has Napoleon. <laughs> like, they just added Napoleon to the game. Oh, because he lost in Russia? I don't think so. Like, some or just of because the... he lost? Well, I don't know if he's actually the bad guy. I think it's actually more Swedish and Norse. Um, I haven't started it. But sometimes, like, the servants that are assisting you, like, they add those, obviously. And some of them are on your side. Some of them are against you. Like, in the first one, you were being assisted by Billy the Kid... Atalante, hero out of Greek myth, and Beowulf? Sure, why not? <laughs> that's a hodgepodge group. Yeah, that's how it is with a lot of them. The really funny one was one of the early things in the first era of the game, where you went to Rome, and you were being assisted by Roman Emperor Nero and Boudicca. Oh, yeah, well, um, hmm. I guess they're slightly different time periods. But and Boudica absolutely despises Rome. Yeah, also that. That's so, the bigger thing. I mean, that's next will be the American Revolution, and King George will be your greatest ally. You went to America in the in one of the first parts of the game, and you were having to repel an invasion from the Celts, being led by Cuculain and Medby. <laughs> I don't know Sounds how to history. actually pronounce her name. You're assisted by. Let me see. I think it was 
Robin Hood. I want to say Billy the Kid again. You know, Robin Hood, that great American hero. Elizabeth Bathory. Okay, well, okay. The most American hero I can think of. Well, the most hero I can think of, for sure. Pop idol Nero. That sounds completely accurate. And Thomas Edison and Helen of Lotzlowski. I remember those two. I don't know who that last person is. She's apparently like a Russian, like, occultist lady. Okay. So that one was a lot of fun. I know they delayed the upcoming, like, movie for Camelot. Because, you know, this year they're... Was it into last year? Into last year, they put out the Babylonia, the Fate Go Babylonia anime. So that was like all the story for basically the last um, Singularity, which is what they were called. You played through in that game. So it meant they were basically, all right, here's the very end of this story. We're going to just drop people who aren't playing the game into it with this slight like prologue for people who haven't played the game to give them some context. Let's flash a bunch of images of what the character theoretically did on screen so there's a bunch of weird characters that you don't know if you've not played the game who's that admiral looking chick with the huge tits like (laughs) that's a question i ask myself every day how are you supposed to know that sir francis drake (laughs) clearly tyler you know how zach likes to give you ideas and say you can just do that and we'll make millions right no no that's not a thing zach does to me actually okay well you you know shazam right you yeah We need, like, you describe a hot chick to this app, and then it tells you what hot chick that is, and pulls up a picture. I can do that. Give me a month. Uh. (laughs) I feel like we have on this podcast shown Tyler what Sir Lady Francis Drake looks like. Yes, you have. I don't know if it was on the podcast, but I've definitely been in the room when he showed it. Yes. I have uh, sent pictures to Tyler being like, yes, this is a character from Fate Go. Which one do you think it is? What I sent you this morning was actually Quetzalcoatl, by the way. I, yeah, that's why I said Bird of Paradise. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a Quetzalcoatl, but... Yeah, so that, that's that's kind of a fun phone game. It, it's a gotcha game. I like the fact that it is an RPG, so it's got an actual story attached to it. That's kind of fun. Um, I played a little bit of Battletech. I actually started an entire, like, game of Civ. But Which one? Five. But I was like, yeah, I'm, I play it for, like, an hour or so, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm done for now. I had to wipe out England because they had the audacity to settle next to me. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to wipe out this one city. And then I'm going to go wipe out your capital because you gave me York to prevent me from invading you again. And then Sweden asked me for my help invading you. And so I'm like, all right, fine. And then it turned out they only had the one city left. And so I wiped out England. Oops. Well, I've been mainly going for a like a non-violent victory because usually how I win Civ is by conquest. And I just was like, I don't really feel like doing conquest right now. It's a lot more micromanaging, but I think it's also more effective on average. To conquest your way through it? Yeah. Probably. But at the same time, like, usually I go liberty straight into honor for those culture trees. This time, I think, if I remember right, I went to the aesthetics tree. That's actually usually the one I spec into. No, commerce. I usually do aesthetics, but that's because I want that sweet culture. I have so much money right now. So soon you can buy Congress and then win that way. Yeah, so I've, I've been... Having some fun with that one. Still a pretty good game. Have I done anything else? I did beat Resident Evil 3 since we last recorded this podcast. It's not that long. I didn't realize that it also had the speedrun thing attached to it. Oh, me neither, actually. You can win the game, or it gives you a rating at the end. And it's like, you got this rating because you continued or saved this many times and took you this long. Or you died this many times, or... Yeah, whatever the case may be. The remake of 2 was a lot better. Three had some serious problems where, like, the guns didn't feel like they did anything. Resident Evil 2 remake, obviously, when you knocked them down, they didn't necessarily stay down. But it felt like the guns did more. 
Instead of like, I shot that thing four times in the face and it is still coming towards me. I've actually been playing a little bit of Resident Evil 6, mostly just the mercenaries mode. And like, I don't know, it's weird because all the guns in that seem like very distinct and they all serve very specific purposes and they all feel like what I expect them to feel like. Well, part of the problem is they want to keep your ammunition low to keep that tension level high or relatively high. So you have to like rotate through guns and you can't carry all of them because limited inventory. Well, you can carry pretty much all of them, but the problem is like, I want to attack this thing. Well, my handgun just wasted my entire magazine, and it's not dead. It's not even on the ground yet. So, and this is just a normal zombie. This isn't even one of the special things. So, I didn't really care for that. There were a couple of bosses that I legitimately wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing. I won basically by having enough Inferno grenade launcher rounds, and a couple of them were just trial and error that I didn't really care for. So, Resident Evil Two Remake, pretty good. I did like the. Uh, there's an attachment to it. Where, like, they explain why there's a big freaking hole in the wall in Resident Evil 2 Remake in the uh, in the police station. Because the explanation is that the guys in Resident Evil 3 blew a hole in the wall <laughs> while they were there for reasons. That's kind of fun. 2, pretty good. 3 is not bad. Just not as good as 2. I just think 2 is a lot better. Anything else, Zach? Have I played anything else? I played a bunch of League of Legends. I keep considering actually doing that. But then I'm like, or I could build models and then I'll have something at the end of it. Uh, just kicking back and playing League of Legends. Like, mainly bot games of League of Legends just because it's like, yeah, it's something fun to do for like 20 minutes. So you're not so much li- playing League of Legends as you're listening to a guy go, kill that. Well, I don't even remember any of the ones in in uh, League of Legends I, now. I don't remember. An I'm... enemy has been slain. Double kill. If I, honestly, I if I were to actually want to get back into it, there's so much changed about like the dragons and how they work and whatnot. I don't even know what they do. Yeah, I would have to do some research for sure. I'm sure none of the items I used to buy are still there. Actually, I think most of the items are still there. Like most of them felt like I knew what they were like. I knew what all the items and stuff. Did. There were new items that I wasn't entirely sure what they did, but most of them seemed okay. I found a couple of characters I actually quite like. Like I like Senna. She's pretty fun to play. Aphelios is weird, but apparently top tier because I watched a bunch of like Pro League of Legends and man, Ezreal and Aphelios were like the two top 80 carries, which was weird that Ezreal was was one of the high picks. See, when I first started watching League, Ezreal was super common pick. So that was when they call it the Ezreal Corky lane. I thought it was the Ezreal Graves lane, sometimes Corky. Uh, That transitioned into that eventually. It was just weird to see Ezreal because like, on the one side, you've got the Aphelios guy who's like hyper carry, late game, uber scaling, and Ezreal who's not that. He's like, I have a mid game window where I'm terrifying, and if I don't hit it, the game is over. Yeah, I think it's attached to the fact that like Yumi, which is another support, is really powerful on him. Like him and Yumi are really strong as a unit, but not as much alone. Anything else, Zach? No, it's pr- I've been pretty lazy the last couple of weeks, honestly. I keep looking at my computer going, I have all of these games, like Persona 5 or Persona 4. That'd be a lot of fun to play. Just not right now. So, Tyler, do you want to talk about Animal Crossing this week since you completely failed to talk about Animal Crossing I last week? I did completely forget to talk about Animal Crossing. I actually don't know that I have a lot to say about Animal Crossing that has not been said. Uh, I mean, I feel like treatises have been written on it because it came out during the apocalypse where there was nothing but Animal Crossing. I think for five minutes people were playing Doom New One, whatever that's called. (laughs) Eternal. Eternal? Okay. 
for five minutes they played that and like this was new and different and fun now back to crossing my animals the only entertainment that exists in this bleak world it did definitely have a moment because of that what i'll say is this is probably my favorite animal crossing game the early game actually gives you kind of a quest line which is a little bit different than a lot of the other animal crossing games they have like concrete tasks to do that aren't just pay off your house beyond that i don't know it's animal crossing um i'm actually playing it the way it's intended to be played or that the the designers intended it to be played so i haven't been time traveling at all for what like 15 minutes a day or something yeah yeah basically like a half hour a day i'll go do my dailies and then if i get a wild hair i'll like go dig up my wild flowers that have overgrown my entire goddamn island or like go fishing for a while or it's kind of nice because i can put as much or as little in as i want and i'm still getting something out of it all the time it also helps though that i have a large social circle that's also playing it at the same time so we have discovered that most games are much better if you have a bunch of other people playing them at the same time generally speaking like even if they're not necessarily multiplayer but being able to talk about the game that you're playing with somebody else is always nice yeah it's actually just surprisingly fun to just go explore someone else's island because everyone has so many like weird idiosyncrasies about it I've got some visual puns on mine. Um, I have a skeleton right next to a locker, which yes. is great. I currently have a Tyrannosaurus um, eating from an apple tree. Also pretty good. I wonder if I can just make my island the Batcave, and would that make me like Animal Crossing? You can get a T-Rex. <laughs> I'm sure you can get a giant penny. You probably... Yo, you can just put clothes out, and you can make your own clothes. So I could just make a Robin shirt you could. and put it in a glass case. <laughs> What's even And better? then I just need a big, a big art deco... A computer that never existed and i'm set i'm trying to remember or i'm trying to think whether or not you can give custom clothes to villagers because you could just dress them up as robin <laughs> well i'm I'm not the batman who laughs i don't want them all to be robins um, <laughs> that say crow all the time i'd like a bat girl and a spoiler and a bat wing and an azrael and a clay face but you could do this i guess is my point yes um if you can give custom clothes to villagers i honestly don't know if you can the very first thing i did in this game is spend an hour designing like an accurate link to the past tunic oh i am wearing a bat signal on my chest so i don't know i like animal crossing it's fun it's relaxing it's sometimes also very stressful so i just don't play it on days when i find it stressful so how can it be stressful i just because i feel an obligation to do the things i need to do and i'm like well if i don't like if i do this then i have to do this and then like one thing cascades into it another it is a chore simulator like ironically yeah. most video games this one's just very relaxing because there's actually not really any like consequence for doing or not doing anything what else have i been up to unless you wanted to say anything else about animal crossing you no. technically played some yeah of it. i tried to get into it i bounced right off I, there was like a week where i logged in every day i was like this is pretty okay and then it was like go visit an island get some more people and i'm like more people yeah, that Join stops us. after a while, and then, then you have to set your own damn goals. The same thing happened to me in New Leaf, actually, as I like played for about a week and just decided that I couldn't get into it. And this one really grabbed me, and I'm glad I picked it up. So can't imagine logging in every single day to do the same <laughs> things over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Who would do of, something like that? For those of you not watching the imaginary video podcast, Zach did just log into Dokkan Battle. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear what else. Uh, Alex and I picked up a game of Heroes of My Magic 3, although we only got about halfway through it before it was like 10 o'clock, and we we're, were like, we should pick that up again later, and then we haven't yet. Let's hear It's been an incredibly good couple of weeks in Smash for me. I have gotten four new characters into Elite, including Zero Suit Samus, who was one of my worst characters, and I think she's now one of my best. Is that because the uh, community around it has gotten a lot smaller, or... No, I just had a few moments where I just suddenly realized how to play characters I've been bad with. And just subsequently just, like, started knocking them out. 
Uh, That's right. Like, I'm not trying to say that the community should be getting smaller. It's just... And I'm sure it is. Um, although the next fighter pass might change that. It th- might grow again. There's that in Evo's either about to happen or is happening online. So, like, I feel like there would be a swell right now. I don't think Ultimate's going to be an Evo. It, yeah, there was something weird about it. I know. Because we're announced we're doing an online tournament with all the games. Don't notice that Ultimate's not here. All the games. Well, um, and then I stopped paying attention to Evo. Like I said, it might be going on now, and I'm not watching it. I think it might be because Street Fighter Five announced a additional DLC pack gotcha. that they were not planning on doing before. And it would make sense to do that at Evo. Would it? The, oh, the, just the announcement, yeah, not yeah. actually releasing it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Because like that's when you have the most fighting game fans looking and especially you might have some people who played street fighter 5 but aren't currently yeah that's a great way to get attention because most of the people who care are probably going to be paying attention uh yeah speaking of which the new dlc fighter is min min yes uh, mostly at, she looks super unique and i'm really excited for that so who the hell is min min exactly she's from arms what the hell is arms exactly <laughs> it's a nintendo fighting game that was a switch launch title was it launch or slightly after launch? i think slightly after launch it was also incredibly mediocre from everything i've heard uh, again, great character design, subpar gameplay, but the as a character in Smash, she looks actually super interesting because she can change out her arms and... Because Sakurai cares more than he should, yes. and he designed this amazing, unique character for, based on this game nobody has heard of. Um, be, um, I want Maximilian Dude is a fighting game YouTuber slash commentator. He likes Smash, but it's not like a fighting game he likes to play. He likes to play it when he has eight people in his house, and he's like, "Can I, I would skill like all the blood in my body. For somebody working on Street Fighter to care 1% as much about Street Fighter <laughs> as Sakurai cares about Super Smash Bros. <laughs> like when he, the, during the Terry announcement trailer, he's like, could he just make a King of Fighter game? Could anyone, because clearly nobody cares about King of Fighters the way Sakurai cares about King of Fighters. I just learned that there was a recent Samurai Showdown that yeah. came out and it looks really nice. Oh, the new Guilty Gear. Guilty Gear has been an ongoing concern, but the new one looks like it's going to be great. I'm excited for that. I've actually been considering getting into an Arxis game that is not Fighters. Yeah, well, um, Guilty Gear would be the one I would, unless Persona 5 Arena gets announced, Guilty Gear would be the one I would be interested in. One of the things that made me facepalm is I opened up Steam at one point during the last week and it was like, SNK Heroines is now on Steam and I'm just like, why? And why is it 50 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> That's the really concerning part. What else, Tyler? Let's hear. Uh, so, similar to Zach, I've been opening up my Steam library a lot recently and going, I should play this game, and then not playing that game. I've actually gone back into Brazoria and I'm, like, trying to actually get through that. But I also came into possession of 2,000 works. <laughs> I have been saying that there's 2,000 games, but some of them are, like, one-page tabletop RPGs. Some of them are just, like, literally artwork. It is all out of bubblegum in that collection. I think all out of bubblegum is free, but... I have no that idea. A, that was actually a lot of RPG. fun. I could probably go check. Um... um very quickly, it's an RPG where you have one stat, which is bubblegum, and your actions are to kick ass or do anything else. And uh, to <laughs> kick ass, you have to roll a d10 higher than the number of pieces of bubblegum you have. And okay. to do anything else, you have to ro- roll lower. And every time you fail at something, you have to have a piece of bubblegum okay. until you're all out of bubblegum, at which case all you can do is kick ass and you automatically succeed. But you can't do anything else. <laughs> That's a really fun setting. Um, one of my favorite ones that I found was to boldly go oh uh, I, I think i'm a, a, uh, aware of that one go yeah on. you're a bunch of spacefaring kobolds yes. and you're uh i am aware of this one you're you have like a bunch of bait or very small sats you all build a ship together it's intended to be like a two or three session game so 
Anyway, what have I been... So I played Anodyne, which had been on my list for a while, and I picked it up with this giant-ass bundle. I am not familiar. Um, so the way I've been describing it is if Link to the Past and Earthbound had a child, and then that child had a hallucinogen-induced fever dream. I was with you until drugs got involved. Um, it is a bizarre game that I think is about a kid, like, coming to terms with his social anxiety and, like... Finding his place in the world? I don't know. It's like it's a weird mix of like darkly creepy and also like just kind of goofy. But I don't, I don't know. It's a really weird game. Um, I highly recommend it, though, because it's like a three hour game. And if you have some time to mess around with something like very surreal, then it is definitely a good pick. How does it play mechanically? Almost identical to Link to the Past. OK, um, it's also much shorter, though, and you don't get any additional items like you're too things you get are a broom which functions as your sword upgrades for your broom that make it behave very very slightly differently and the ability to jump as though it's the rock's feather okay um but that's pretty much it it's mostly you go around collecting cards and cards get your progress so it incentivizes exploration because you must explore to advance gotta get those gogi cards exactly it was just an extremely surreal experience, and I spent, like, two whole days just, like, trying to figure out what the hell the plot was before I decided that I don't think the creator knows what the plot was. <laughs> the game ends with you swimming out into the ocean with your best friend to go grab a sandwich. So. Sounds ideal. There are lots of Persona games that end that way, too. <laughs> I think it's a metaphor for entering <laughs> life, and there's, like, a grumpy old sage who tries to simultaneously help and hinder your progress, and I think this was supposed to be, like, a stand-in for a parental figure who's, like, trying their best to guide you until they figure out that maybe I should just let him do his own thing. I don't know. It's weird. Did you ever play Toby Fox's second game? I did not. I did not play his first game, which is why I have not played his second. I never played either one, so I was just curious because I know Tyler's a big fan of Undertale, so I figured, did you ever try the other one? Uh, you know, everything I saw about it made me think that I would not like it nearly as much as Undertale, so. What else have you been playing? What is the name of this game? I'm trying to remember what it's called. Welcome to everybody's favorite nerdy game show. What is the name of this game? Oh, you did not watch the Smash press conference, huh? I did not. Know. The Joker Amiibo is amazing, and I want to. I did see the Joker Amiibo, and it does look very good. So the other game I played, and I don't know that I'm going to pick up a whole lot more of it, but it's a very interesting concept, is a stealth game called Anoon, where you are, I think, an evil shaman of some sort, whose people have been crushed near to death, and you suck life out of like a tiled island okay so it's like a 3d game that is on an island it's broken up into a grid and you can suck the life out of trees build up your soul gauge so that you can give life to other trees and if you give them enough life they develop a skull totem that you can transfer your soul to and the goal of each individual island is to get tall enough to suck the life out of the watcher which is like an anti-totem that will if it finds any skull totems, suck the life out of them and then regrow trees with them. Um, and basically it just like spins around the island. So it's like kind so of So it's a, like a game of Go almost? It's it's definitely a strategy game um, more than it's a stealth game, even though it's marketed as a stealth game. It's very interesting and like they're clearly trying to make a philosophical statement with it because they're like memories of people and you can either uh, condemn or condone their actions. That said, the gameplay honestly is just not enough of a hook to like... It doesn't get different fast enough, and I'm not sure it ever gets different enough to uh, really warrant as much of the game as there is. But it's a very interesting concept, and if you ever find it for free, I recommend trying it out. Anything <laughs> um, else, Tyler? Yes, but I can't remember what it is, so no. Okay. What have you been up to, Jeremy? I finished Persona 5R. Woo! 
the ending is demonstrably worse than the ending of Persona 5. Really? It really is. That's disappointing. Yes. Except for maybe Akechi's alive. That's somewhat interesting. I mean, I would still recommend it. Would you recommend it over just Persona 5? I mean, probably, because all of the Persona 5 stuff is in there. The opening is worse, but the opening to all of the Persona second tries are worse than the original. How's the opening worse? It's just not a, the, the opening sequence, not not the opening of the game. It's not as well animated. It's not as well. Oh, okay. You mean like the, when it's yeah, the, the title like, screen opening? Yeah. Although the title screen is actually much better, ironically. Okay, I was a little confused because I'm like the the opening is basically the same. The open, I would actually say the opening is slightly worse because it's even longer. I appreciate why they made it longer. I don't think I would not have made the same choice in their place. Because don't they introduce Kasumi? In yeah. That? It has been a little while since I played that. They made some design choices for that final dungeon, and I'm not sure I agree with most of them. Yeah, I think most of them are fine. I'm more concerned about the story choices than the design choices at that point. There is the thing where you're just way more powerful than you are in Persona 5, and they don't do a very good job of making the enemies stronger to match. Like, you're definitely stronger in Persona 5 than you are in Persona 4, but the game is harder enough that it seems like they compensated for it. But you're much stronger in 5R than you were in 5, and very little has been done to come. Why are you much stronger? So you know how they, at some point they introduced abilities that Pokemon have? Yeah, in Pokemon? Yes. yes. Now yes. the Personas have them. Okay. But because it's a Shinten game and you're always fusing your demons, you can inherit any ability that... So you've... can they stack? Can they they don't stack, abilities? but you can have any one you want. Okay. So you get basically get to choose which one you have? Uh-huh. Okay. Also, technical damage got a big buff, which is, it's sort of balanced around, but it's just an extra option in your combat that makes you stronger. And Baton Pass got buffed, which is already very good. Yeah, that is, that, that one is really nuts if you upgrade your... Is it actually called Baton Pass? Yeah. Does it work like Pokemon Baton Pass? Uh, kind <laughs> of. So you, you played Persona 3 for long enough to... And you've played Shinten games. Yeah. So basically, if you get a knockdown on a Shinten, you can Baton Pass to a party member, which makes it their turn. But it continuing the same turn. Oh, and they get a buff to all their stats, and you can chain it. So if they then knock someone down, you can baton pass again someone else. You can't baton pass to anyone you've already had a turn. So on there this. is a limit. Yes, and it has to be someone who's on the field already. You can't baton pass to somebody who's like in reserve, in standby. Yeah. So that's actually that sounds fun. I like yeah. that. I mean, and it was in five, but it got buffed, and it was already very good. If you go hang out with your you're with if your you go, friend, play, you go pool. play darts. Oh no, yeah, you're right. Par darts is for pool is for technical damage. Darts is for baton pass. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, they use the, uh, the six axis. You don't have to actually use the six axis. You don't. You can turn it off. Yes. Um, I was using the easier. six axis. It didn't really matter. I was still able to clear everybody's. Yeah. The six axis. The, the motion control in okay. the, the PlayStation. Also, they're cowards, and they should let you have a gay romance with a catchy. I don't want one personally. But clearly those two are into each other. <laughs> Especially Akechi is super clearly into Joker. They're laying down next to each other in the new opening. He's not wrong. Like I only have one thing to say to that. Birdie! Mm. No, because it's way more hate sexy. There's way more chemistry between the two of them than there is between Kira and Apple. Okay, that's fair. There's an actual relationship there? Let me rephrase that. An actual that relationship there? I think so. Depends on how you read it. I get the feeling that it a catchy might be into your character, yeah. but because Joker is kind of like a blank slate, he's not necessarily into a catchy. He's only into him if you are, which is fine, but that means it should be an option. Also, the, the Persona 5 anime sucks, just so everybody knows. That's uh, whatever. Joker has less personality in that than he does in the game. That's impressive. <laughs> yes. How? 
because it's a very bad anime. I know that Persona 4 had one. Was it wasn't the Persona 4 anime like decent? Yeah, the Persona 4 anime is good. The Persona 4 Golden anime, I've never actually seen it, but that's because I heard it described as incredibly bad DLC for an anime. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of the stuff that I think Jeremy had the most problems with, because we were talking about it on the way down here, I don't really want to talk about on the podcast, because it's yeah. very spoilery. Yeah, uh, Atlas made a very interesting decision where, I guess you don't, you've played PS4 games, right? Uh-huh. You know how sometimes they're like, hey, you can't share this, it's blocked. Yep. They blocked the entirety of the extra thing they added, like the entirety of the extra content, which I find very uh, interesting. Yeah, that is weird. I mean, I get it, like, it seems well-intentioned rather than, like, marketing-intentioned. I do really like the characters that they added. Kasumi is great. Yeah, I also do. Um, the conflict, I just think, is lacking. And they they want to make a big statement out of it and give you a big flashy ending that they don't earn. Yeah, and it's really hard to follow up, you know, literally shooting God. I mean, that happens <laughs> in every Shinten game. Yes, it does, but That's it's usually very good the ending. Yeah, it, the problem is you channel the power of all your friendships into the legendary Super Satan and shoot God with him. And then you have to keep hanging out with your friends and just fight this uh, guy who wants to be really nice to you, but you don't <laughs> like the way in which he's trying to be really nice to you. He's not wrong, <laughs> although that is also very much up to interpretation, because we actually have kind of opposing views on the on the conflict in that. Yes, I don't think it is up to a debate that he's trying to be very nice to you. He thinks he is doing what is in your best interest and has only your happiness at heart. Okay, yes, that is true. He like he firmly believes <laughs> he's doing he's the right thing. Whether he's correct or not. He, he, he firmly believes he is doing a nice thing. Is, is he trying to help you with your schoolwork? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's he, earlier. Yeah, no, that is earlier. There is a, a, they cut this, but there was a, there's a bad ending you can get where everything is kind of like idyllic and happy. There is a cut uh, harem scene from it where it's the uh, terrible Valentine scene from the original, oh, but yeah. all the girls are super happy with you and fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> so he has your best interests at heart. That's why I haven't been playing Persona 4 Golden, because I need to detox from Persona before I get back into that. Well, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm, I'm still finishing off, like, doing, like, being like, all right, I'm kind of done with my Persona kick for a little bit. But we played a different JRPG that... I, this week in the giantest of air quotes <laughs> for this week's episode yes which is final fantasy 7 which i beat the day after my birthday so march 17th so it's been a bit ironically the reason why i didn't play too much of this game was because persona 5 r came out very shortly after and also we talked about remake last week so that's super weird too so we're going to do our best because I think Final Fantasy VII is a super important game to talk about. I think it's very influential. It's a lot of people's favorite game of all time. And after finally playing through all of it, I get it. I never did. <laughs> but One major problem, I think, is that at the time I had a lot of thoughts about it. But as time has gone on, not only have they dulled, but like the really good parts are what stay with me. And I have to fight to actively remember the frustrating parts, which <laughs> definitely exist. And I think that's part of why people like it so much. I think that's true of anyone's favorite game. But over time, the best parts of it cling with you. And the four-hour opening to Persona 5 fades far into your memory. <laughs> the game starts out in a way that's incredibly impressive if it is currently 1997. It does. And I do like the opening. I think it is a bold statement with the train. Like, it says, this ain't your daddy's Final Fantasy. Well, especially clearly. with those, like, wide panning shots of Midgar. Ex- well, it's, as- it's very steampunk. It's very... It's very, like, modernized. Yeah. It looks like an industrial society. 
Which is the first Final Fantasy to really, like, get into that, because, like... So they've been really flirting with it in 6, yeah, but six they fully crossed the threshold here. And this is, like, what if that society industrialized, is basically what we have here. But the graphics, they hold up in certain ways. I always like watching old movies that have the old map paintings in the background, and people are green-screened onto them. And so it's super interesting to see a video game like that. So I think visually it holds up in that way, but it's sometimes very difficult to tell where you're supposed to go. Or what is part of the background and what isn't. I remember spending, I think, at least 20 minutes like running through the same three screens because I couldn't figure out which of the exits I was supposed to take. And the models, I think the character design is great, and that's why it hasn't changed much in the remake. But man, those models, like, Cloud's hair is all triangles because that's all they got to work with. Yep. Barrett is a barrel st- or stacked on top of a couple other barrels. And their <laughs> arms, the way they, like, bicep in, like... I always found that hilarious. I love they their look like they've arms. got hams on the on the end of their arms, yep. and then dinky little like pipe cleaners connecting them. Yep. The, the in battle graphics for them are much better, but they still show their age, and they're just not as expressive as Final Fantasy VI characters. Like they built in some expressions. Cloud Shrug, in particular, I find genuinely amazing. So we were talking about this a little bit off mic, but I watched a side by side like animation comparison uh, from like a guy who does animation or like video game animation for a living. And uh, one of the things he actually lauded this game for was the fact that because you can't really animate the faces at all, they went, they basically did like stage acting yes, for yes. all their expressions. So like Cloud Shrug is like the biggest shrug in the world. Well, if that's uh, all you got has- to exactly. If that's all you get to work with, that's what you work with. And like they did a pretty good job with it. It's pretty easy to tell what emotions and the things that characters are trying to convey even though you can't really see their faces which is pretty impressive i think actually that's one of the reasons red 13 maybe falls a little bit short is because he he doesn't have human limbs so yeah so in his emotional scenes he can't really act as much yeah that said i i mean i've expressed this bias a lot before i think this is the worst period for graphics in the history of video games was this period right here right when we started going to 3d in final fantasy 6 because they could do a lot with eyes in particular but with the faces the acting there is much better because they have surprised sprites for everybody and shocked sprites for everybody and like comedy sprites for everybody and i feel like they can do a lot more acting with those Whereas, like, because we have to march into 3D and impress everyone with this train cutscene at the beginning, which is really what they wanted to do with 7, was have this tech masterpiece. The PlayStation was not as powerful as the N64 when it came to rendering graphics, but you could do these full CGI cutscenes on there because the discs had space to place them. Didn't they also fully intend for Final Fantasy 7 to do away with uh, the random yeah. battles? I was going to get to this later, but yeah, Final Fantasy 7 is the first in their like five-game spree attempt to get rid of random battles. Um, I think Final Fantasy 7 and Pokemon ruined JRPGs, despite being two of the best, because <laughs> you know, on a Game Boy, you can't not do random battles. Like, There's no option, and I kind of miss random battles in Pokemon. I think Pokemon and random battles is a good fit. But Seven wanted to do away with them, and they just didn't have the time and development when they were creating all these new tools to figure out how to make that work. You could see there are some spots where they definitely did it, especially early on in Midgar, and then it just kind of fades away as the game goes on. Yeah, but then in Eight, they just didn't know what... They were like, oh no, we made the most popular game of all time, and we don't know how we do it. <laughs> did it. Let's change as little as possible. And then Not, 8 was awful. <laughs> uh, 9 is a deliberate throwback to Super Nintendo JRPGs, so they it keeps random battles. And then 10, they were trying to get rid of random battles, but the system they replaced it with created too many problems with the other gameplay elements, so they ended up going back to them. Was that the, like, 
original thing where it was like move forward, kill this thing, move forward, kill yeah. this thing. Which just meant there was no exploration in the game because you were either in town or you were in combat. Which actually, now that I think about it, is basically how tactics RPGs work. Yeah. So it's like not the worst idea. Like there's some foundation there. No, but like the, the loop was bad. Yeah. I can see that. Because part of the pur- purpose of JRPGs is, to some extent, like, wandering around a dungeon and finding the loot and well, stuff. Well, yeah, that's, like, that's not just JRPGs. That's RPGs in general. Yeah. But, like, tactical RPGs technically don't have treasure chests, or they're on the battle map, right? Yep. Uh, and there was not really a way they came up to do that in that. And also, they wanted to design these nice... They had this all this concept art for a world with, like, beaches and stuff, and... They wanted you to be able to explore it. Yeah, tactical RPGs generally, like, the RPG element happens before combat and after combat. Yep. Whereas, I played some disguise. There's, there's no exploration attached to it. It's like, okay, we have arrived at our destination. Time to fight. Yep. Uh, speaking of fighting, 7 uses the ATB. It's more or less the same as it was in 6. It's been greatly simplified from 6 in a lot of other ways, though. Uh, you don't no longer have, like, paper doll armor slots you now just have accessory and weapon i'm not a fan of that system they kept it for final fantasy 10 as well but i do not like the overly simplified they've kept it through 15 it's not so um, as i don't care for that i actually do kind of like that because at the end of the day all your armor is functionally identical i kind of like it i'm 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 a person i don't want like chest piece and leg piece except for in some very like crafted situations like persona for example is a is a game that has weapon accessory and armor i'm and, aware and i think that works um i feel like i don't mind that simplification but it's how many they made that i dislike about seven take any one of them and i'm fine with it but take all of them and it starts to bother me you're down from a four-person party to a three-person party which and to be fair combat has made it easier to compensate for that you as also well. have a smaller overall cast so yes though not much smaller I think it's enough to compensate for the smaller in-battle party. They also, I guess we can get to Materia, because now... They, they also kind of simplify the Magicide system into Materia. Yeah, you don't really have character-specific abilities except for limit breaks, which we'll get to in a minute. And I actually really like Materia, but it's one of those things that when you, t- again, when you take all the simplifications together, I don't so much like it. What I do really like about Materia is I like it how it is a separate level-up system, and as you level up your materia, you can shift it as the party changes. So if they want to do things like, say, maybe kill a character and take her away forever, or restrict what characters you can use for a portion of the story, it's not a big deal because you still have the materia that you leveled up for them, so you still have your capabilities. I don't really like that system for magic and all that because it really just makes all the characters feel interchangeable. Yeah, and that's actually something that they leaned really heavily into with 8, which I was not a huge fan of. Like, all the characters have proclivities, right? Like, Cloud is pretty fast and good at physical combat, so he's not your best caster, but he is a functional caster. Similarly, Aerith is your best caster until she dies. But they do all feel very similar, so it's really, which flavor do you like best? It's a very, like, aesthetic choice, and there's a degree to which I like that, because there's not a penalty for using your favorite characters. But again, when you take all the simplification together, it's too much, and I... Way prefer, say, 10, where technically you can make anyone do anything, but they all have very defined roles, and so they all feel very important. And I way prefer 6, where anyone can learn any ability, but teaching them an ability is a process, 
And also, they like their stats are never gonna like. You would never have someone who is like the. I'm trying to think who would be a terrible caster. I guess uh, Sabin, for example, will never be a great caster unless you like really just stick a magic material on him and keep it there the entire game. Yeah, unless you're like doing a weird challenge where you're like exactly. make Sabin the best caster and Terra the best. Uh, Terra's already a pretty good fighter, but that sort of thing. Those characters all have their baseline, and you can adjust that heavily. But like adjusting it takes work and investment. I much prefer that. I do like Materia on the face of them, mostly for their ability to combine later in the game. Yeah, the Link, Link is, I think, where it really gets yeah. fun. Linking is a super cool idea where if you haven't played Final Fantasy VII, some Materia just supports other Materia, so you can get things like a cast this on all available targets. And you have to choose what magic you want to link that to. Or multicast, and you only get one of these, so like figure out who you want to be able to multicast. Yeah, and that sort of setup stuff is fun. It is fun to figure out how to do Knights of the Round eight times, even if doing Knights of the Round eight times makes the game. Click Knights of the Round, go make a sandwich, come back, (laughs) click Knights of the Round, go make a sandwich for tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's fun to feel like you're breaking the game in that way. Well, because of those synergies, it's always exciting to find a type of material you haven't seen before. Because you get to experiment with new gameplay mechanics. Although, spoilers, most of them aren't great. Um... And I've just never been, I, we talked about this with Six, I've never been a fan of the ATB, because it feels like it's rushing me through decisions, and they've taken away your choices in Seven, and to some degree that's okay, because like, attack or use magic or use item were kind of all I wanted to do anyway. I generally don't mind uh, a system that makes me have to make a decision quickly in combat, but then again, I also generally prefer real-time combat engines. That's why but, I was so excited when Kingdom Hearts came out, because I'm like, it's Final Fantasy in real time. It wasn't, this, but... This ATB system just feels like it's a imperfect option to try and blend the two, and I that's really exactly don't like is. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm on a similar feeling. What's most frustrating about it to me, though, is, like, you give in your action, but then you're not sure, like, when your action got queued in. Like, is this going to get off? And to some people, that's tense, and I think that's the idea. But to me, it's just frustrating. Well, it's annoying because it feels like this is supposed to be my turn. Mm-hmm. And then when a couple of times when you're just waiting for that gauge to fill up, it's like, all right, any day now, I'd like to do something. <laughs> I mean, at least all the modern versions have like a super fast mode that you can click on. But then you feel like, oh, I have to turn this off when my turn comes up. So I'm not wasting time. So, yeah, I've never been a fan of ATB. The last like big element of the combat is the limit breaks, um, which are the one thing that we talked about their stats are different. Like you said, uh, Cloud's never going to be your best caster, Aerith is. But limit breaks are the thing that each character has that's unique. And I actually think they strike maybe the best balance of a, like, super move that I've ever seen in the game. Like, when they come up. Like, they come up often enough that you get to see them a lot and use them. But irregularly enough that you want to save them for, like, big things. Not even, though. Because, like... They come off uh, fast enough that I feel like I don't feel like I'm wasting it if I just use it on something. And uh, I wish that this, they were more upfront about this. But the fact that using them multiple times means is how you unlock better ones. Yeah, makes it feel like it's never a waste, even if you like are just in a random encounter. Because it's like, well, at least I'm closer to getting the next one, so this is one, progress. One thing I did not like about the limit breaks was the fact that uh, it takes away your basic attack action. I am torn on that because it means encourages you not to save them. And I actually kind of like that. 
I certainly understand where your frustration's coming it's from. It's like sometimes definitely not the best tactical well, um, option. But it's like, I want to save this because there's one dude left and I know there's a boss fight coming Yeah, there's up. a gopher in front of me. It's got five HP left and now I have to like use a potion or something. I, and again, I definitely get your um, complaint with that because I felt that sometimes too. But I, the fact that using it meant I was closer to unlocking my next one always kind of mitigated that for me. Like, I think telling you that was the better option, but kind of forcing you to do it is still good because I can see the player who's like a player like me who hoards all their resources yep. as much as possible <laughs> would just use limit breaks like five times in the entire game and never unlock the cool ones. Oh, I did not know that it did progress it, but no, like I said, if I know there's a boss literally right around the corner, I don't want to use this thing because I can then use it against the boss. It's not like I'm going to save it and never use it. It's literally, there's a boss right there. I want to use this powerful ability on him, not this gopher with five HP. Well, in that case, though, you can, like, guard and have Tifa hit it with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, what does Tifa have a stick? That's... Or, I'm sorry, Eric. <laughs> They're the same character, goddammit. <laughs> Speaking of characters, I guess. I mean, yeah, do we just want to talk about the character design? I think it's really good. Genuinely. Yep. I think it's one of the things that this game did really well, and I think it's actually one of the reasons it's stuck in the public consciousness so long. I think it's main... Actually, I think one of the reasons why it's stuck in the public's consciousness so long is the fact that it's the first game that really had the balls to kill off one of their main characters. There's also that... Uh, one of the earlier Final Fantasies did that. Yeah, uh, 4 did that as well. Just nobody played 4. Exactly. 4 Al did that multiple times, actually. I'm thinking of 5 that did that. Yeah, Alex and... I for forget which one it was. I think 5 is the one I'm thinking of, where they kill off the guy who's in your party almost yeah. the entire game. Yeah, the old guy, and then yeah. his daughter takes over. Yeah. And you make the old guy the most kick-ass martial artist, so the six-year-old becomes a martial arts legend when you get her in the Coincidentally, party. that's what I did entirely by accident, <laughs> so... I think that and a lot of its story choices are genuinely a reason it sticks into people's heads, because... Certainly other games before it took their story seriously, but I don't know that any did as much as this one. I mean, this one has a clear theme that runs through it, and it's very zeitgeisty as well. You look at Cloud, and it's difficult not to think of Dragon Ball, which was very popular at the time. And the story has a huge theme about motherhood and uh, like the psychological implications of war, which are also things Evangelion, the most popular thing in the history of Japan, happened to have <laughs> at around the same time. So, like, it just hits a whole bunch of cultural points at the right time, I feel like. And I think there are a bunch of scenes, like, Aerith's death is certainly one. But there are a bunch of scenes that stick with players. The one that always sticks with me is right after you get out of Midgar and Cloud tells the story of Nidalheim and you play it as a flashback. And, like, whenever you do anything, Tifa is like, hey, did you do this, Cloud? Like, did you go into my house, Cloud? Did you go into my room, Cloud? Is super good as a framing device. And then later, when you find out Cloud was an unreliable narrator, and actually all of Tifa's questions were her trying to cross-examine him, that becomes an even stronger scene. I'm trying to think. Uh, like, anytime Barrett's interacting with Marlene, also great. Yeah. Full disclosure, because Persona 5R happened, I couldn't really get into this game. <laughs> That's a, it starts really slow, which is, I think, like, the opening scene up into blowing up the reactor is, like, really fast-paced, and then all of a sudden it comes to a grinding halt for a while as you're just wandering aimlessly around Midgar. And I think that's not great pacing. I think it's actually very poorly paced in a lot of ways. I wrote down bosses as a point to talk about because so many of them are like forgettable fish things or houses <laughs> or whatever. But that also feels like it's kind of filler content. It's like, hey, we need a boss here, so let's throw it here. A lot of that stuff, the further you get from the game, the more you remember Nidalheim and fighting Sephiroth and Aerith dying. And the less you remember this weird fish you have to fight before you get on the airship. Because it feels like it's there because they feel like it has to be there. Because Final Fantasy are huge RPGs and we got to stuff them full of content. And 
I really think stuff like Chrono Trigger, which just kind of cuts to the chase and is all, for the most part, with one exception, is all kill and no filler, is a way better design. On the other hand, I don't know that Chrono Trigger has any moments that are as powerful as things like Aerith's Death or Nidalheim, which is, I think, why after you play Final Fantasy VII, it feels stronger because those are the things you remember. Chrono Trigger, by comparison, is largely like, let's go on a grand adventure, and there's not really like... I don't know. There, there isn't a dark side to Chrono Trigger, really. There, there's no, like, character growth in Chrono Trigger, right? Like, there's a little for Marlene. There is some, but, like, you get a full, like, examination of who Cloud is. And, like, this, I found very prescient treatise on identity. And, like, the moment where uh, Sephiroth's like, yeah, maybe Tifa knew a guy named Cloud. But are you sure you're him? And, like, there's that bit where you wonder, like, did Tifa just tell this guy he was Cloud because she missed her friend who died in the war? Like, that's a super powerful short section of the game before, you know, it gets cleared up. But that was the thing about Final Fantasy VII that I'd never gotten to before and wasn't spoiled for me. I think because it's only a brief moment where the question is in the air, but it's very powerful. Yeah, there's that whole period where he's having an existential crisis and he's like, I don't know, sticking to the ceiling for a while. I don't know, it's weird. (laughs) Well, they're doing what they can with those character models. (laughs) Yeah. I think also what helps it stick is that it's kind of a modern setting, which is weird for JRPGs, just generally. Less weird now. Less weird Um, now, but I think Final Fantasy VII set that trend, for better or worse. I'm not a huge fan of it as a trend. It depends, like, I'm super into Final Fantasy XV's, like, gas station road trip aesthetic, because that, again, feels fresh, even though it's definitely from the same playbook. That's actually a good point. I do really like that. Like, it feels like its own thing. Like, there aren't a lot of RPGs set in, like, the American 50s. Yeah. At this point, it's actually kind of weird, because when you look at a lot of the Western RPGs, they're either far in the future, a la sci-fi like Mass Effect, or your traditional fantasy like Dragon Age or or Skyrim. And then the Japanese ones at this point seem more along the lines of like mystical elements in modern days. Well, like we were talking about Persona a lot earlier, right? Yeah, and like Persona is the best modern life game, I feel like. But I feel like, to your point, Zach, that's because those things sell, right? They're proven. Whereas, for better or worse, Final Fantasy was at a point with seven. They took in a huge risk by parting with Nintendo, especially as aggressively as they did. But they had faith in the name, right? And they continued to have faith with it through 12. They could kind of do whatever they wanted to. They didn't need to stick to tradition. They could pave the way forward. And whether they succeeded or not is, you know, up for historical debate. But they were certainly with seven, they were willing to take risks. And 7 obviously paid off for them, because like you said, oops, we accidentally mo- made the most popular game of all time. Well, I feel like 13, they also took a few risks, but it ended up being more of a train wreck. Yeah. Yep. And 15 takes risks, too. And it's a train wreck, but it's when you were, you survive and you were excited to be a part of it. Like, it's it's horrifying <laughs> while you're there, but afterwards, you're like, it's, you want to talk about it. You got a story for parties. My overall sentiment on 15 is still actually quite positive, despite the train wreck Same. that is the end of that Same. game. So. Isn't your guys' usual, like, thing about 15 is, boy, I sure wish they'd finished that game? Yep. Yeah, like, the first third <laughs> is awesome, and I was super, super engaged with it, and I love the combat system, and then it just, like, all of a sudden, plot happened over here, See, now go there. That's the real reason Final Fantasy VII is going to be three parts, is Tetsuya Nomura knows they can only make one-third of a game, so he just <laughs> leaned into it. So he only has to make one-third of a game at a time? Yeah. Some other character design stuff, Sephiroth's a little problematic, I think, but pretty good. And that he feels like a stereotypical gay guy in some ways. And uh, especially if you watch, play all of Tetsuya Nomura's games, he loves to make the bad guy a shirtless guy who's kind of hot with long hair. <laughs> <laughs> he also has severe mother issues. Oh, that's less him and more the writer of this game. 
I mean, uh, Sephiroth specifically oh, oh, yes. has severe mother well, issues. The story was written after the main writer lost his mother and was trying to process it. It's even more on the nose in Remake, somehow. Well, I guess that makes a certain amount of sense as to why that would be a major theme here. Yeah. And, like, Aerith is a super motherly figure who dies in the middle. And then Tifa kind of isn't a surrogate for that, but takes over. Cloud's mom is dead. And, like, the last thing she says is, like, man, I hope you find an older girl who can take care of you. <laughs> Sephiroth's entire motivation is, oh, my mom is a weird space monster. I should be a weird space monster. <laughs> <laughs> I thought his motivation was, let me get this meteor to crash into the planet. Well, it's because that's what my mom would want, for everything else to be dead. And then to sail this planet into another planet, that's how our kind reproduces. Sephiroth is a very weird dude. It's a very sci-fi concept, too, and we were talking about that. It plays fantasy on the front, but it's got a lot of sci-fi ideas. Uh, high sci-fi ideas like that, and just things like having guns. Yeah, well, and, like, siphoning the planet's energy for steam power. Yeah, well, and that's, <laughs> like, still a super relevant theme, right? Yep. Um, To the point like where my one, air quotes, problem with Final Fantasy Remake, which I loved if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, is that I do feel like they're kind of taking away from that original message, which I think is still relevant and prescient. Uh, aren't they uh, actually siphoning that world's afterlife for energy? Yes, but like when you die, you go to the planet's core. So it's the same thing. The souls of the planet power the planet, so yeah. that the planet can power the souls. It's a cycle. It's a dynamo. It's a cycle, and they're siphoning it from it, which is the problem. I also think its ambiguous ending is a big part of its appeal, because it doesn't tell you what happened, and that's kind of an old trick, but it's one I really like as a Kingdom Hearts fan and an Evangelion fan, and it does kind of the same thing, where at the end, did everybody on the planet die? Maybe. It, I, like, um, it has some implications, because you follow Red 13 for yes. the ending, right? Yeah, but, but like, is humanity still around, or... Is it just this Red yeah, 13 it, dog and his family? Yeah. That's one of the worst things about Advent. Advent Children's just terrible, by the way. Don't. <laughs> w watch that scene where it turns out Cloud the motorcycle is full of swords, and he omni-slashes Sephiroth, and then... <laughs> After those two minutes are done, just leave it forever. Is that before or after Tifa spikes him so that he can go slash something? Oh, that is that is after. Yes, also do watch the scene where they're all throwing Cloud up. That's not how physics works, but it is a it's great... great. <laughs> uh, it is great metaphor for friendship. I, I have actually seen that movie. I liked the scene in the church where her phone ringtone is the victory tone. I, I liked it the first time I saw it because it, it's funny when it's unexpected, but boy, is that scene hokey when you know it's coming. One other thing I wanted to say about character design, and this actually relates back to the bosses that we were talking about, is that since so many of the bosses are forgettable, really the only ones I ever remember are just like the recurring bosses, and that's mostly in the form of the Turks. The Turks are a super common RPG trope. I don't know if they're the first, like, quirky mini-boss squad that's following you around as a lesser threat. I know that's pretty popular, but they're one of the best examples of it. Especially that scene near the end where you can just choose not to fight them. Yeah, where they're like, do we have to fight? And you can be like, nah. <laughs> I, I love how punch clock they are, too, because I also love that scene you have to get to get to that scene where they're on vacation and they're just hanging at a bar and you can come in and they're like, oh, not today. I'm on vacation, man. I didn't see you. I'm not getting paid for this. So they didn't authorize overtime. Just live and let live. I think the Turks are great in their like writing more than their character design. On the other hand, Reno is just Axel from Kingdom Hearts. And I, I was do love say, Axel's like, Kingdom like character design so and i love reno's character design specifically yeah. so the other thing that i think i don't know that sets final fantasy 7 apart but it's a very interesting thing about it is all the mini games they shoved into it as little breaks or like major key parts and i think that's actually one of the things that like 
made people play this game for longer than they would have otherwise is there are distractions in the middle of it they're never around for long enough to be meaningful breaks i think but they do except for blitzball <laughs> that's not <laughs> that's... <in> seven yeah <laughs> i just mean all final fantasy mini games until blitzball but they make the game feel bigger like there's a motorcycle mechanic so you don't just see cloud escape on a motorcycle on a cutscene. you play it and it plays differently than just a random battle but clouds on a motorcycle and it's and is it a great game? No, not really, but it functions. And if you really like it, you, you can play it as much as you want in The Golden Saucer, The Land of Minigames. <laughs> and they do a pretty good job of giving every character their own subplot. Yuffie's is optional, and that's weird. And Barrett's doesn't tie into the main plot the way I want it to. But every character gets a moment to shine. Is Vincent the worst character? Oh, except Vincent, because he's the worst, yes. Yeah, I like his character. Ah, man. He's the weird, like, Alucard-looking dude, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he's just a vampire edgelord, and I hate him. I hated him back when I played it, and I was into vampire edgelords back when I first played this game. See, I, so. <laughs> I went to all the effort to unlock him, because I wanted to... I didn't 100% this game, but I wanted to at least get the secret characters and did everything. Did you fight the uh, Omega weapons? I did not. Okay. And I was like, yeah, Vincent's in my party, and then I never used him again and forgot he was there until the end of the game. <laughs> oh, is he yep. an optional character? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the reason he's optional is that they didn't know what to do with him, but they liked the design enough they wanted to keep him. So it doesn't really feel like you're missing anything if you don't get him. That's fair. Like, Whereas, isn't like his backstory that he's like an experiment? Of... No, his wife died and Shinra caused it and he was pissed. But also he's a vampire or something? He's not actually a vampire. He's just laying in a coffin in his basement, <laughs> in Sephiroth's basement. <laughs> I thought he was supernatural in some way. No. Uh, not that I remember, but also... Doesn't he transform into a demon as his limit break? Yes, but... Okay. <laughs> Cloud shoots lasers out of his sword. Well, that's just... A, everyone can do that. Tifa can do that. She doesn't even have a sword. I do love Tifa's limit break and how, instead of getting new ones, she just adds moves to her combo. Yeah, Tifa has the best limit break. I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> Omni Slash has been copied a thousand times for a reason. Yeah, but Dolphin Smash. <laughs> it's good. Look... Cloud never suplexes you when he does his limit break. It's and, that's, and that is a problem. <laughs> is there anything else we want to say on Final Fantasy VII? Like I said, the game doesn't hold up as well as I maybe want it to. I think it's ripe for a remake. I totally get why they were doing it. I'm glad they went in a very different direction. But playing it straight, I think, made sense too. And that's a little bit what I was afraid they would do because it made sense to me. Polish up those old game mechanics with something better. Something less infuriating. Make something that looks good on modern eyes instead of on 1997 eyes. I'm super glad we played it, though. I'm glad I have now completed that game. And I, like I said, I kind of get it. I've seen it done better in other places since and in some ways before. But especially in 1997, we're right before Japanese culture starts hammering American culture. And so this is a lot of people's first exposure to that grand Japanese storytelling as well. And it's, as an intro, it's not a bad one. And what I'll say is this has never been my favorite Final Fantasy, but I like a lot of the aesthetic choices they made. But man, I wish that you'd spend like four fewer hours wandering around dark, dingy, gray world. I also, we were talking about how simplified they made a lot of stuff. And I think that may also have been the reason it latched on so hard is people who wouldn't have played JRPGs because they're a little too complicated might have played this more because it's less complicated. I don't have any really solid feelings one way or the other. It didn't hook me, so I really didn't get into it, and it's not really my thing, so... Yeah. And, like, the interesting parts of the story don't happen until, like, at least halfway through the game, and, like... I have yet to run into a Final Fantasy game that I legitimately really, really liked and that really hooked me. 
I guess one more final thought I want to have. I think I don't remember I've expressed this while we were talking or before we started the mics. I do think Final Fantasy VII in cahoots with Pokemon is responsible for just tanking the innovation of the JRPG. Yeah, you said that uh, against its intention because simplifying it made people go, "Oh, we should make it simple." And the ones I really like are a, a bit more complex, like say Shinten, which is basically yep. what if Pokemon was just slightly more complex. And the Shinten games just feel so much better because you have to actually use buffs and think about what you're doing and analyze enemy weaknesses. Um, and while I get, you know, going for mass appeal, it makes them all blend together, except for, you know, a few that rise to the top. Yep. And th- that's really my opinion on this is like, I like Final Fantasy VII all right, but I really don't like what it did to JRPGs. All right. So speaking of JRPGs, we have a list on our website, www.lastpodcast.com, listing all the games we've played from best to worst, including some JRPGs. At the top, in fact, is Chrono Trigger, a JRPG. That could have been Final Fantasy VII in a different world, because it was made by the Final Fantasy team after Final Fantasy VI. At the very bottom is City Connection. You guys remember that in the before times? I City do. Connection? It's also, it's it's got an anime intro, so I'm claiming it's also a JRPG. Your car stat went up. Then in the center, we have Harvest Moon for the Super Nintendo. Medium game. I'm going to start Final Fantasy VII very, very high, mostly because I want to compare it to some stuff that we have very high and want to speak on it for a few minutes more than because I think it goes here. We kind of talked about how Chrono Trigger could have been Final Fantasy VII in a different world. I also kind of talked about why I think Chrono Trigger is better, though, already, because it's just the good parts without all the bloat. Yeah, there are no dumb fish bosses. Final Fantasy VI is at number 14. I said then it's better than seven, and I, I will stick by that. Seven has some great moments. It doesn't have Celeste throwing herself off a cliff or that opera, though. Or, you know, the, well, I was going to say the literal apocalypse, but I guess Final Fantasy VII does also have an apocalypse. Maybe. You just avert it, possibly. You prevent the planet from being destroyed. Maybe. Well, the planet's still there. Maybe. Red 13's what? There is a planet at the end of that game. Unless, I guess, a little piece of it blasted off into space with atmosphere. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought there was going to be more stuff I compared it to before I got to this, but a game I found it just super strangely incredibly comparable to was Knights of the Old Republic. I talked when we played Knights of the Old Republic about how weirdly JRPG influenced it field. Uh, Field? Field is not a word. (laughs) It felt. Then I was comparing it a lot to Chrono Trigger. But I think they're both games with bad combat systems, but good stories people want you to experience with very shocking, like feeling new to video game moments kind of at the epicenter of that, that I think are both very important to the history of video games. And I don't necessarily enjoy playing either. of them. <laughs> <laughs> My God is terrorist. Terrible. Uh, I'd rather, I'd honestly rather play Knights of the old Republic if given a choice. So, and this is where I'm split because I think I agree with Zach. I'd rather play Knights of the old Republic, but the story in Final Fantasy VII is so much weirder. I mean, I'm definitely not a really ringing endorsement. I am driven a lot by novelty, so it is for me. I, novelty doesn't mean good. No, it doesn't. It just means different. But it is often a sufficient substitute for actually interesting. I don't often think about, hey, where should this game go? But with a game like Final Fantasy VII, I do. And to me, I was like, I would put it directly above Knights of the Old Republic. And I think I can talk these guys into directly below Knights of the Old Republic. Because I think it plays better. I think it's more influential. Maybe the influence it has is worse, since I talked about (laughs) that a bit. I'd put it below Knights of the Old Republic, because I think Knights of the Old Republic plays better. 
I see. I think Final Fantasy VII plays better. I think it has a, a way more interesting advancement system. And I hate both combat systems. But if I had to play one for a hundred hours, it would be Final Fantasy VII's in a heartbeat. So it comes down to your choice, Tyler. It does. And I'm trying to think whether or not I agree with that, because I like the the quasi real timeness works better for KOTOR, I think. Well, in KOTOR, you can actually pause and basically have it end up being turn based. There, there's can a setting on there. Too. There's a setting to turn off ATB. I don't think there is. I know there is in six, but I could uh, not find it's, it in seven. It's, uh, so it's turn it off, or it pauses combat when a character comes up. Okay, yeah. So you can't just sit there and like fill for time. I've always but. liked the, or kind of preferred the Amer- more American or Western style, where the character is you, but that does mean that there's a lot of things that you can't really get away with. So you get to choose your your character's responses to questions, whereas in yep, like Final it, Fantasy VII, you really don't. It's harder to craft a like specific coherent story yeah because they're, they're they have their benefits and their and you know their benefits and um problems with it because you can have this is the end like this is the character's story whereas in like Knights of the old republic there are definitely two distinct paths that yeah. character can go but the game has to take into account both of them and it's another reason persona is top goddamn tier because it threads that yeah, and that's actually a, a good point, is KOTOR is one of the first games I ever played that actually had, like, a like a morality system that it cared for about. For good or bad, for good yeah, or ill. Yeah, exactly. But it was there, and I thought it was super interesting at the time. Um, like, both of these games, it's just been done so much better since... Yes, that's why I found them, like, super, super comparable when I was thinking about them in my head. What I am basing this on is extremely arbitrary, but I just like the flavor of Final Fantasy VII better than I like the flavor of KOTOR. I mean, it does have the advantage of KOTOR is a licensed game, right? And it's an excellent licensed game. I don't want to use that against it. But Final Fantasy VII is an original property. Like, you can do more there if you want. Yeah, and I, I like the universe they have there more, but maybe that's just because I'm overexposed to Star Wars at this point. I mean, Disney has ran Star Wars right into the ground. That said, uh, have you watched The Mandalorian? I watched the first good. two episodes, and I'm like, man, I should watch more of this, but I haven't. That Well, to be fair, that's exactly what I did. Also. <laughs> so, <laughs> I really like it. I just haven't watched the rest of it. Um, so, I think my official vote is going to put Final Fantasy over KOTOR, but, like, very, very slightly. Yeah, directly above KOTOR, we have Fallout. And I think Final Fantasy VII is better than Fallout, but I do like the poetry of putting it right above <laughs> KOTOR a lot. And Fallout's got a lot of the same, like, upsides that KOTOR had, right? But, like, it doesn't have my, like, last one I pointed out, which is Fallout is an original world, right? And they got a lot more games out of that. Unfortunately, we got Fallout 76 out of it, too. But we can't hold Fallout responsible for that. <laughs> Especially because it's a Entire. different developer. Yeah. Also, Fallout did, like, especially considering the limitations of what they were working with at the time, because it came out earlier than either of these games, they did a lot with that game. Which is really why it's so high on the list, is, man, it was ambitious, and they didn't screw it up nearly as bad as a lot of other ambitious games on this list. So do we just want to put it here? Um, Yeah. I do like that just for, like, symmetry is not the right word. I guess you said poetry, and I just wanted to avoid saying that again because it seems derivative, so now I'm a hack. So Final (laughs) Fantasy just barely... Fails to make it into the top 50 at number 51, below Fallout and above KOTOR. I really wish that we had an excuse to play Area 51, that terrible arcade game, so that we could put it at 51, but it wouldn't <laughs> get that high. So <laughs> No, it, it goes above, like, Operation Condor. It's, Operation Condor is a Jackie Chan movie. Operation Wolf is what I'm thinking. That's what I was <laughs> going to compare it to, because it's the only vaguely similar game. Tyler, what are we playing next week? We're going to play a game that I've been holding off on for a very long time, because I was kind of expecting you to call it, um, but 
Hey, Tyler, you remember game FAQs in the early 2000s and how all they wanted to talk about is who would win a fight between Cloud and Link? No. Okay. I, um, I do remember literally printing out a walkthrough for Ocarina of Time because I got stuck <laughs> in the water temple because I missed a single room that had a key in it and I just wandered the entire thing five times not going back to that room. Uh, so, uh, Ocarina of Time. <laughs> Next time on Last Time. Hey, listen! 